Welcome to Smashing Through Walls with Carla McGee. Whether you are just pulling up a seat to the table, breaking a glass ceiling, or smashing through walls, grab your favorite mug and join us on the first and third Friday at 11 o'clock for candid conversations with industry experts and decision makers as we navigate and explore all the things related to real estate and community. Hey there, Wall Smashers. Happy Friday. This is Carla McGee, where we don't just break the glass ceiling. We are smashing down the walls. And I'm super excited today because we have fellow Phoenix Business Radio X podcasters, Mac and Blue. And I'll let them introduce themselves and explain where that comes from and go ahead and get started. So happy Friday, guys. Thank you. I am Robert Johnson. I am Mac of the Mac and Blue. And he is... JJ Levinsky. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> of the blue. Of, of the blue. Of from the Blue Wave. Wave. <laughs> yes, that's it. We, we weren't that smart to put it together on our own. Yes. <laughs> we need a little phonetic <laughs> help from our backgrounds. Correct. So tell me what Mac and Blue stands for. Tell me what Blue, blue Wave means and tell uh, everybody. I'll, I'll start with this mm-hmm. one. Mac was a previous, when we uh, did the launch, Mac Prefab was the sponsor. And so Mac Prefab was the company that I was with previously. Blue Wave is the company that JJ owns, general contractor. Mac Prefab was a Division Nine subcontractor. I have since changed and gone to Tory Contracting. Same thing, but we kept Mac. Um, we'd already started the branding, and I can make it moving America's construction. I love if it. If we want to. Sure. Uh, something like that. So, yeah. I love that you guys are like building America, building the building Arizona, correct? Mm-hmm. Right, which is why I was so excited to have you on. I feel like our businesses like cross over in so many ways, right? Between selling commercial real estate or building it, sure. Like it, it everything always comes back to real estate. Right. Is why I say right back to where we where we put the building in the ground. Yeah, and that's how we started too. We wanted to. Well, actually, we we were here. I don't know, Daryl. What was it? I think. Both of us were here probably about six months ago as guests on other podcasts and afterwards because we both had faces for radio. They asked us to come back. And Wait, then, what are you saying? They asked me to come back too. I really <laughs> thought I was prettier than that. I'm just saying. Crickets. No, no, not that. Uh, yeah, boy, that you just stepped in. That's okay. We hey, have we're an men, episode we're, called we're, A Face for yeah, Radio. We're men, okay. we're men, so we can get away with it. Um, men are pigs. So then we sat down with Karen and Daryl and did kind of just a brainstorming idea. And um, we always tell, and you've, you've heard this before that literally after, I think it was only half hour, Karen was like, stop, we have enough content for multiple years in building Arizona. So we approached it, looking at it from not just the industries that we're in as true builders or contractors, we extended it to a lot of the, where you look at the crossover of commercial real estate, economic, economic development directors, the capital stacks, the architects, the engineers, the educational type stuff. I know uh, that when we do our podcast, our next one is going to actually be focused on that, which mm-hmm. I'm, you know, you know, so those kind of things is we're looking at the broader spectrum of building Arizona and everyone that comes into that. So that became our platform. We started every two weeks and then in effective July, we're going to every week just because the demand was there. There's just so, so there's yeah. so much to talk about. It's so fascinating. Yeah. Tell me more about the educational one you're doing. We're trying to expose a lot of the the different entities or community-based things that would have education-related things that relate to anything building Arizona. So, for instance, our next one is ju- the Junior Achievement, which, uh, without getting into the minutiae and details, it's a great organization locally that, you know, they take 
young children or, or middle school, high school people and put them in a real school, a real world application in their um, studio that's not far from here in Tempe as well. It's, it's really cool. Like they have a town there with a bank and a bunch of businesses and they take these students through it. So we, we are very fortunate that we have someone on that board. In addition, we have a local businessman who went through it as a local youngster. Um, he's very successful now. But as a testimonial, when he's on our podcast, it'll just be really cool to have them bridge that. And then on top of it, to answer your question more globally, we're looking at the EVITs of the world, the trade schools, even the universities, and we, we're just we're just we're just getting started. So we're trying to make sure that we don't get too focused each month. Much like you, you want a diversity in your podcast to keep your listeners and, and advocates engaged. And that's what we're doing too. So education just happens to be one of them. Well, I asked because we had the director, the director of economics for the city of Scottsdale, Rob Millar on yeah. last week. And what came up as part of it when we were talking about like school, I mean, all of Scottsdale, but we were talking about school for some reason, you know, you kind of get on these tangents. And he was like, in the state of Arizona, you can build housing on public school property. And I was like, my mind was blown. And we kind of had a conversation around like, what would that look like if we had like teacher housing? Like what, how could we attract like such high quality teachers from other areas of the country if we had almost a student housing type situation, but for teachers. And so I just, I found that fascinating because I'd never heard of anything like that of you guys. Mm -mm. No, I had not. Not directly. Yeah. Um, you know, full disclosure, I play as a general contractor, I play in the charter school space. So I get, I'm, I get to see and I'm privy to a lot of things be behind the scenes that I don't think the general public understands, like how that works between a, a private and public sector without getting geopolitical here. Arizona is one of the strongest charter school based states in, in the nation because of what happened in the past, you know, supp- supply and demand created a a new vertical per se, and the people here just took it and ran with it. So to answer your question, kind of directly but indirectly, I have seen a little bit of of that that mindset and the growth potential there, but not specific to the this the teacher housing, but a lot of other creative things in that in that regard. Right. Well, it sounds like maybe public school, public non charter, will also be maybe begin to catch up or, you know, at least start having these conversations. Because for those that don't know, Arizona is an open enrollment state and you don't have to live within your district. You can kind of go as long as there's room in that school, you can go wherever you want. So because of that, our schools, I feel like get kind of competitive with each other, whereas maybe in other states, they get a little complacent about like, well, that's our demographic and that's who comes here. And and here it's like, well, how can we attract the best talent? So I feel like that's where some of the conversations come oh, not just from schools, no, but for now from teachers. Absolutely. And I think you're seeing a built-in meritocracy as a result. You know, everyone's in competition with one another the way it should be, an even playing field, because you want the value, the value prop should be the end user should get a better, a better service and product, right? And back to what you were saying. So I, you know, I think the best thing we can do is just stand back, watch and be advocates in our respective roles. You know, what you, what you represent in your industry, what we represent in our industries, and collectively, I think the movement will will have a better outcome for for the state of Arizona. It, like in general, I agree. Yeah, with that's you, what I mean. Right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. we'll be producing more educated, more well rounded children turning into adults that stay in our state that can then work at all these fantastic companies we're bringing in, and Correct. and just you know, uh, like Rob Millar said, is uh, when the when the tide raises, all ships rise, or mm-hmm. something like when that. When you're yeah. you're you know before I don't want to hijack your whole podcast no, here to go dude, down this yeah. this thing, but. I think you're seeing it from when you look at the Uber growth of of the high tech companies and what's spinning off from our like TSMC and Intel and all that 
all the ancillary stuff that's coming from there. If you look at those corporations and peel back the onion and look at their their C-suites, how they're engaged with the local universities, tech schools. I mean, don't kid yourself, anyone that's listening behind the scenes, ASU, U of A, GCU, NAU, they're in bed with all these people because they're the ones driving the ship right now. They're the ones saying, listen, we need a thousand of your students to do X, Y, and Z. Help us build the program so that they're better ready. Right. And it's not just unique to those businesses. That happens. That cross-collaboration happens in all kinds of companies. We have Boeing here. I mean, we have major corporations that have... But the infusion that you've seen over the last year and a half specifically, I think, is what where I was going with this, Carla, Mm -hmm. is, yeah, you have... And I didn't mean to single out those companies. Yeah. But the cumulative effect is very profound now. You're seeing it before those who were maybe just behind the scene conversations, now it's out in the public light. And I think that's the difference. I agree. And then, so Taiwanese semiconductor plant, it's funny you mentioned that. So we drove up to Sedona this weekend and we drove by it and the amount of cranes on that building blew my mind. Now my husband is in commercial and industrial HVAC. You know, if you ever need a future guest, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> but Book him, Dano. Yeah. <laughs> But he was like, he was telling me about some of the supply chain challenges and stuff that's going on with that facility. What is, what is y'all's input about that as well? Like, it, what do you see did from you, your you standpoint? Y'all's? Y'all's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I actually that's, understood what that's that means. Your, <laughs> that's your vocabulary. Is that your lingo? I can, I can uh, translate if you'd like. Yeah. What's interesting about what's happening out there um, that I hear from other people, other trades, um, I've had no direct interaction with them at all, but the workforce is being hijacked wrong wrong word but it they're really going after tradespeople right now because they they have they cannot get enough tradespeople like headhunted right oh yeah. huge mm-hmm. and they are throwing money at people so you know i've heard things like you know give it a year year and a half and and phoenix is going to be hurting for tradespeople we're already hurting for tradespeople it it's not going it it's not going to get much worse. Oh, well, I mean, it is going to get worse as time goes on, but technology is going to make that better by the way we build differently and the things that we do differently uh, to compensate for that, uh, which makes what we're all doing even more important uh, in pushing to the next level and what's, what construction is going to look like later. Yeah, it's, it's huge. They're, especially the semiconductor plant out in the Northwest. They're just it, it, the same, you know, Intel, and you, you, go, you look at both yeah, of them and it's just them. a crane village. So, yeah, it's very exciting. Well, and then you take, keep happening. You take all the distribution that's happening on both the west side and east side mm-hmm. around. On the east side, you have the gateway, you know, call it the gateway zone. That, well, it's our tech corridor. Right, the tech yeah. corridor. You have your tech corridor in, in Chandler, per se. Then you have the west side, what's happening on the 303 loop. And then don't forget about what's happening in Maricopa and Casa Grande to the south of us the major industrial players there in the in the batteries and in all of that those businesses and you know this is no secret the intermodal that's going to come down there is profound because you're connecting the latin americas with the united states that casa grande will be the new eco hub of the next whatever you know next 20 30 years because of the availability of how everything mixes there well and i don't know if you guys are familiar with bigger pockets but bigger pockets yeah 
ranked Casa Grande the number one place to invest in the whole United States like two years ago. And it was for a lot of those reasons. And anytime I have an investor call me that's like, I want to put my money in Arizona, where should I put it? That's one of my first recommendations because it's still so affordable. But like, if you know, if you want a long term play, that's definitely where you should be looking at because mm-hmm. it's the growth is come. It's all in the pipeline. It's just coming down. Well, and, you know, full disclosure, our first guest was Nathan Steele, who was the economic development director down in Maricopa, and we we talked extensively about that about how they live. They can be a, kind of this in this symbiosis, if you will, where Casa Grande. I, I don't mean to pigeonhole this or stereotype mm-hmm. it, but in essence, they're attracting all the the corporate industrial space, and then. Well, all these workers and people and, and community-based is kind of Maricopa. Now, that, that's not exclusive, and I don't mean to over-stereotype, but that's kind of how the ebb and flow is going down there, and it works. You know, right. when you look at it, both communities are thriving as a result. And the tax base, I think, actually ends up benefiting, too, because sure. you're concentrating X over here and you're concentrating Y over here, so we're not expanding roads and schools to areas that aren't needed. And so I, I think you're seeing how, uh, back to your original question of is, how is the hypersensitive economy of Arizona reacting to the construction space? And that's why we felt so strongly about advocating our podcast, the, the Building Arizona Under Mac and Blue, was to address those kind of things. And now to see that it crosses over into your podcast as well, I think it's great. I mean, the, the, more, the more exposure we have it and advocacy that we can get, um, I, I just think we're we're going to be better off. Right. Again, with those like the rising tide and we all succeed, right? So, and it's super fascinating too, because talking about like some of like using Maricopa as like an example for like residential housing, we had the city of Apache Junction come on and they just had like 274 square miles annexed and four square miles of that is already like slated and being developed for, I think they said 11,000 houses. I remember 11, 1100 or 11,000, but it's like, they're working on bringing in a lot of houses. And then they came to us because what do you need when you need houses? You need restaurants and you need mm-hmm. places for them to work in the commercial exactly. space. Right? right. So have you guys heard anything about the city of Apache Junction and like their huge expansion that they're doing in terms of affordable housing? He's the East side guy. Yeah. Yeah, the answer is yes, and you're seeing some early shakers and movers that are doing are, are basically being the catalyst to that, both on capital development side and then working on the municipal side as well. I think the other thing you have going on in AJ is if you can't in it in a non-negative connotation, I think you have some gentrification going on. Um, you're seeing neighborhoods that typically had blight that are getting cleaned up. Um, again, raising the residual value of those areas, you know, and that's. Some people say that's a bad thing. Some people say it's a good thing. I'm I'm, ne- I'm not here to be judge or jury, but you know, in the industries that we're in, it seems like it's for the betterment of the society um, in those areas. Because it's funny on our last podcast, we had a, a gentleman by the name of Chuck Marone, who is the co-founder of Strong Towns, and a very interesting guy. That basically his whole life thesis, if you, if you will, is about how to effectuate that tax base to its highest degree of 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 utility back to the the consumers, i.e. the the residents and constituents. He didn't directly say, but he cautioned all of us here in 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 the Phoenix Valley is, you know, growth for growth's sake can be dangerous. Growth for the right sake can be very advantageous to the to the the long term and long run that we have here in in the valley. And so I think you you take kind of the 
the knowledge and the spirit and the message that Chuck brought, and you take a look at like what AJ's doing, they can they have a perfect opportunity to do it right, or they have an opportunity to do it poorly. Right. And it's let's see. And right. let's, and you know, again, the more that we talk about it on these podcasts or things like this, the more that people will get the knowledge and the data that they have to then go make the, the smart decisions. Right. We're we're not here to solve it. We're here to kind of give the platform and those topics that can hopefully effectuate positive change. I totally agree. And when they came to talk to us, they were like, we are well aware that we're known for trailer parks and storage units, Mm -hmm. and we do not want to be, we don't want that kind of, you know, uh, negative connotation around us anymore. We want to be more than that. We are a beautiful city that just kind of gets a bad rap. And I couldn't and agree more. The, the it's views, gorgeous. The views out there. there are, yeah. you don't get any better views no. of the mountains. Yeah, you, I mean, you can't, right? Like it's stunning out there. So if JJ's the East Valley guy, mm-hmm. then what does Tory Contracting do? Tory Contracting is a Division Nine subcontractor. Which explain to the audience what yes, that means. That's coming next. <laughs> okay. And I don't know if you guys Thank have you. picked up this whole thing here. JJ is the brains of the outfit. Um, he works all week long on using big words. Is it toilet it paper says, of the day? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the big words. <laughs> You're just assuming I have toilet paper. <laughs> and I'm the, I'm the you know, the big yellow one's the sun guy. That's not true, by the way. Tory Contracting, we are a manufacturer and fabricator of cold form steel, load-bearing, and non-load-bearing structures. To, to drill into that is every one of us has seen metal studs, whether we've realized that or what we're looking at or not. But most every commercial building, this commercial building, are all built with instead of lumber, they're built with wood. No, and no, you said that wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did say that wrong. Are built with steel instead of wood. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Good catch. Nice job. Well, I got to. Yeah. I got to. Yeah. Gotta, yeah. See, that's my. He keeps what you I said. on your toes. Yeah, that's what I said earlier. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, at drywall, uh, so metal stud framing, drywall, um, ephus, the stucco on the outsides of the building, and we're trying to turn. Uh, our attempt is to turn the industry into uh, prefabrication, offsite construction. So we're framing, uh, we're designing and framing a building offsite in a warehouse environment where we can, uh, the quality control issues are much better. So we frame everything while the dirt work's going on, while the slabs are getting poured, we're building the building. And when they tell us the slab is ready on a three, four story building, we show up and start standing the walls up. What kind of time do you cut off the build with a process like that? Huge. Yeah. Um, uh, Which, again, leads into so many other things. So we can cut, you know, on a four or five-story building, 100,000 square feet plus, we can shave eight weeks, six to eight weeks off of a schedule, potentially more. The problem right now that we are working to change the solution or find a solution for is the other subcontractor, the other trades. Because if we go that fast, the only way that the others can keep up with us is to put more people on a job, which is going to raise their, their money, raise their dollars, raise their contract amounts. So we are trying to lead the charge. It's happening everywhere, but we're trying to really incorporate uh, prefabricated uh, electrical systems, uh, electrical assemblies, uh, plumbing, things like that. So when we stand the wall up, those components are in the wall. When we stand them up, um, then it's a huge win. Then um, we're, we're really, the, the ROI is amazing. People are renting buildings faster, uh, filling them up faster, 
loan, you know, the whole thing. You, right. you, you take it. So offsite construction is the, the, the next wave. So if I'm, so two things, a, that sounds like probably music to my husband's ears because mm-hmm. he has to wait for all that stuff before sure. they can start dropping the boxes on mm-hmm. the top of the building. Mm-hmm. But if I'm a young person mm-hmm. and I'm hearing this and I'm hearing like, that sounds like the future. And I'm trying to think what I want to be when I grow up, mm-hmm. what does that look like? What should they be studying or getting into? Or like, you know, something they're already doing it. They're gaming. Yep. Really? No, really. So the, the design up. and stuff, it, uh, the designs are done in primarily what we need to, and this is a great segue. What needs to happen is the design needs to move to a Revit model or, and Revit is just a software that's a 3D modeling software. Everything's been in AutoCAD for years too, now. Too long. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, it has been too long. And so now if architects, engineers will begin the move to Revit to 3D modeling, the problems that solves is amazing. So what happens when we design a building is we'll get a floor plan from an architect. Um, If it was done in Revit, fantastic. If not, we're going to provide a model of our framing system, of the structure in Revit. And then that gets distributed to the mechanical, electrical, plumbing contractors and they can do all of their clash detection. They can put in, you know, where their plumbing risers are, where the units go, where the ductwork's going to go, everything. This is all done while they're doing dirt work. Wow. And so when you hit the ground, you're hitting the ground running and everybody is on the same. And you've already solved a lot of the issues that, that typically come about during a, a project. You right. like you wanted to say something. No, I was just going to try to... I was just thinking of the audience and the listener viewers slash how do they visualize what comes next? And so Carla, right. what I, from my perspective, I think we're, we would be doing an injustice if we didn't say that literally in all the trades and in all the GCs and architects, engineers, everyone knows about this. This isn't a secret. Right. A certain percentage are doing it and doing it very well. The problem is the majority still is not. Hmm. So instead of complaining about it, what, Again, why what we're trying to do, I think, a lot on our podcast is show the exposure to those things in all those different areas so that there can be a culmination and then it can grow exponentially. Right. And so like even Robert's background, we actually have a very good relationship with a lot of his competitors that you would normally call competitors. But here's the reality. We need all of them to succeed too, just like I need my GC competitors to succeed because if we're collectively raising the bar, then it'll always be better. And the other thing as a as a... You know, this may sound a little bit derogatory, but as a guy that's only been here just a little under 10 years, when I came from another part of the country, there's no question Arizona was behind the times in construction technology. I believe that. And implementation. Mm -hmm. We were still the laissez-faire, Ostamaniana philosophy. Yeah. And that that is no longer. If we're going to bring all of what Arizona is bringing to the marketplace with the manufacturing, with the all those things that we think are driving our local economy and really our regional and national economy here based in, in Arizona, then we also have to game up. Right. And so the, the, the capitalism and the, and the innovation will prevail, but that's what I think, you know, it's important that the audience understands that what Robert's talking about is 
This isn't like an inward fighting thing that's happening. It's an outward expansion thing. Yeah. Correct. And, and to, back to your question right. is, what what do these people, the, the listeners, what do they need to do? What do their children need yeah. to do? What do, you, yeah. what do so, I tell uh, my daughter to study at school? Well, again, it's anything technology. I mean, yeah. it, everything's technology driven. It's all done. You know, they're having to write code. They're having to design. They're, you know, all kinds of things. So that what, it, what it makes different is because you, it, you know this, young people growing up now don't, when I grew up, Going into construction was what everybody wanted to do because you made good money instantly. Mm-hmm. And that's been the thing, you know, the theme for, for many years. Now, uh, even my son, and, and I've told this on our show, um, excellent with his hands, 15 years old, great. He'd worked for me for two or three every summer. He'd done things. And he catches me one day and says, Dad, no offense, but I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Um, and I was a ditch digger at the time, had an underground utility business. Uh, which, and I get it. I didn't want to do that the rest of my life either. And so he got into doing project management and doing, you know, other things and is doing well, very well, but that's what's happened. People have moved away from the trades, um, into technology and, and well, and the like housing that. crash didn't help them moving away right. from the trades at all. Right. You know, they watched their parents or even themselves get laid off, cut overnight, sure. lose their house. Like, and they're like, why in the world would I want to do that? Yep. So my husband, when my husband and I were young and we were putting ourselves through college, mm-hmm. he, at the end of this, he was not a school fan. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the school year would, you know, in June would go, we lived in Washington state. That's where we're from. And he would go work construction because in Washington, that's when all the construction happens and they'll take anybody that knows how to swing a hammer. So he could leave June 1st, go swing a hammer, do whatever, do roofing, do carpentry work, and go make really good money. And he would come home every day tired, but he'd be like, man, I don't know if I need to go back to college because like, I'm doing really great. But by the end of the summer, come September, he'd be like, did you sign me up for my classes yet? I don't think if I can't do this for the summer at like, you know, 25 years old, I'm sure as heck not going to be able to do it at 55 years old. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's super interesting. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't do that anymore. Like, uh, they don't, you know, work construction over the summer or, you know, just go temporary like your son or, you know, and yeah, so. you don't, you don't see as much of the, sorry, you don't see yeah. as much mm-hmm. of the seasonal. You don't. I mean, you know, I was from the upper Midwest and it was same thing. You know, we had nine months of winter, so yeah, you, you figure out how to work, but it, it was very normal for, especially like I'll give my good friends that were in like concrete masonry steel they would get laid uh, the road work guys they would all get laid off in the winter time mm-hmm. so they became experts at ice fishing and doing like you said side hustles yeah they would plow driveways yeah. for all yeah. their ca- but exactly you're down here or in arizona you you don't see as much cyclicality and, and cycling like that right but back to robert's point is technology is now that that gap provider if you will so yeah, i i think of your son if the difference is, is if you can just be marginally useful with your hands, but you've got a great mind and you want to game and you want to do, you know, virtual reality and all those kind of things, you can now be the the person involved in the modeling of all that. Back what Robert was talking about with the Revit and the BIM and the IPD and all those things that are have been around for a long time. It's just we need more people on the integration side. So is that what they're teaching them now? And say like. It wouldn't be manufacturing engineering. What would they be? Which program would they be teaching that kind all of, of them. stuff? In? They're all they're all blending into okay. one. I yeah. mean, when you take like industrial tech, construction management, manufacturing engineering. I mean, you're even getting crossover in your uh, what we call your double E and ME, which is your mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. Yeah, that that's all critical. So 
it's really the blending of all of those disciplines. Yeah, mm-hmm. because what we do um, with our system, we have role forming machines that our designers, we have to have designers on staff, and those designers will design the wall panel. That program gets fed into our CNC machine. That's mm-hmm. basically what it is. That roll form steel that we buy in coils and spits it out in pieces, and those pieces are put together to make those walls. So every piece of what we've talked about all goes into getting that done and loaded on a truck, on a trailer. And then the people that like working with their hands are standing those up in the field and putting everything together. Kind of your more traditional, what we're thinking of Mm -hmm. type, what we consider the summer folks, the ones swinging the hammers, then then they do that. Mm -hmm. Instead of the seasonal transition, what we do see sometimes is more of your and uh, this to me is not a very touchy subject, but for mm-hmm. some it might be, is your immigration pattern stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you look at certain trades, you have very ethnic background-minded um, concentrations. Like, for instance, when I first got to the Valley here, um, you know, just under 10 years ago, I remember that the, a lot of the flooring and what I consider like tile, mm-hmm. a grant, even like the granite special specialties, um, were very Yugoslavian-based. You know, the, the ex, um, the, 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 whatever, you know, Bosnia, mm-hmm. Herzegovina, Croatia, all the immigrants that came from yeah. there, they had a strong background in that. And I was like, wow, look at this. There's, here's a whole ethnicity just around that, that trade. And you see that in a lot of things. I guess where I'm going with this is that one of the biggest barriers we have is still language in our industry. I agree. And so it's not about the workmanship. It's not about the hardworking of any, any background. Okay. Let's be honest. I don't care the race, creed, color, all that is indifferent. It's if you're a good human being, you're a good human being. If you're a bad human being, you're a bad human being. Okay, same thing applies on a construction site. Mm-hmm. But the language barrier is still a big, big deal. And it's not just English-Spanish either. It's much deeper than oh, that. Oh, so much deeper. And really? so, uh, again, so with this, with all the apps that this we have. This is his phone. Yeah, with, mm-hmm. with the apps that we have on all the smart um, project management systems that all of us are using, whether it's a GC, subcontractor, vendor, supplier, all those kind of things. If we can continue to develop those technologies, that language barrier to me is actually a bigger a bigger issue that we see. A bigger. So I would think the opposite. I would think as we streamline this with technology via our phones or whatever programs, that mm-hmm. that program should be able to translate those orders, those whatever, into any language that no, it, it that is. But the u- Carla, the usage is still the issue. Got it. Yeah, I would say it's more the naivety of guys like me that are at the head of the companies, That's not realizing true. that. Your, your company needs tools. Your people need tools to right. bridge that. And how do we even train people to use these tools if we aren't speaking the same language to, oh, to tell them that they need to use the tool? Correct. And what's real interesting is, is that, and, and I would think that typically the old guy. Which you are not. I was like, is that your boss? Yeah, the old guy. No, I'm, you know, everybody <laughs> knows. It, it, yeah, I'm the old guy. So I like it's not supposed better. seasoned. I like mature. You're actually mature. Okay, I'll go with that. The mature guy. Okay. Although Daryl's pretty mature, and he's not the old guy. I think he. Well, well I don't yeah, think he's forget the it. Yeah, he's, and he's, he's probably not mature either. Um, so <laughs> I've met Daryl. Yeah, we're not typically uh, the the tech minded person that at least is sharing and, and doing things. And I, I was sitting in in an office, um, listening to a conversation go on uh, in another room about this topic, where they were having trouble with several Hispanic trade people, uh, foremen, and they were excellent craftsmen, excellent craftsmen. 
but they couldn't, and they could look at the plans and they could see the plans and they could tell those things, but they couldn't read the notes, the specifications, all of the little things that you have to know. And I'm like, I walked around the corner and said, guys, have you ever downloaded blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, if you can take that and hold your phone over the top of it like this and hover over the drawings and it'll change it into Spanish on the phone for you while you're looking at it. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Brilliant. The Hispanic folks were like, Oh my God. I mean, it's like the mind blown. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's all out it there. Bridged a gap. Yeah, it's, yeah. But that's been there for years. Well, but and yeah. What's interesting is kind of going back to what you were saying, right? Like, so I'm going to assume that mm-hmm. the three of us are all generation X, which means that we are smart enough and tech savvy enough to, if you explain it to us, we get it, but we're not quite at the point as the generation below us to create it, to, you know, code it and all the other things. So it's like, how do it's, how do we almost bridge that gap between the two, even generationally so that they're thinking of it, but they're not thinking of it if they never worked in the trades and they know how to make it. But we're like, man, if we just had this tool, then then, you know, we could all work together yeah. and, and almost bridging that generational gap also. So it's like yeah. you have a language barrier, you have a generational gap, you have all kinds of different variables. That's why on. we have to be advocates. We yeah. really have to. And that's thus what we're all doing right. sitting around this table and what we do on our own. Um, but that, that's the win yep. um, is you have to become comfortable enough in what you're doing that you quit running your job or running your company, which I'm saying that tongue in cheek. And really start sharing the news and educating and going more into being an advocate. Um, because I think as it changes, as construct, as the way we construct changes, we need all. We need the old guy. We need the new. We need all of those pieces and parts in the middle to, to make that happen. To and get we need to embrace it. And that the right? ones Which that it don't, wasn't before. It was no, like, no. I'm on the top, you're down here, you're my intern, and whatever. And we still right? see that. Yeah, oh, I yeah. Mean, we hugely, I mean, I hear it every day. I've, I've built uh, multifamily buildings with wood framing for years. It's always worked. I've always made money mm-hmm. at it. Okay, great. You don't want to make more? Right. Oh, okay. What happens when you can't get the wood or yeah. when we go through these supply chain issues like we're going through now? You, it, those that fail to embrace it or to be progressive with their thinking are quite honestly going to be left behind. I agree. And yeah. on on my side of things, what I find the most frustrating when I always see problems is, and it's usually, it's the person that tells me I've been doing this 27 years. And I'm like, that already tells me we're going to have a problem. It means that you like in it nine times out of 10, it means we're not going to collaborate on the sale. We're not going to try and figure out how to best serve our client. Mm-hmm. It means you only want to do it one way and only get it done in this box. People hate change. Oh yeah. People kick against yeah. change. Incredibly change is just nothing more than growth. I right. mean, that's all it is. Um, and if you're not growing, you're dying. So I, you, you have to learn to love well, and you mentioned multifamily, which makes, you know, my my ears perk up mm-hmm. because that's in our team, in our brokerage, that's where my specialty is, mm-hmm. is multifamily properties. I think that's brilliant, you know, doing the prefab offsite and mm-hmm. why not? Why aren't we doing that so that we can bring more high density housing in? Like that makes so yeah, much sense. And you sense can do that in so many different ways. Yeah. Affordable housing, um, the little single, fa- uh, single family rentals, the build to rent you know, subdivisions that are showing up everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's five or six different models that are just, you're building a hundred of each on a site. But those are all commercial platforms. Do we think we'll start to see this translate into residential, into single family homes as well? Yeah, it has already. It uh, it already has. has. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
the same thing happens in those subdivisions and 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 the uh, and again it just has to be embraced here in the state of Arizona I don't know how it is in others and and maybe it's not maybe it's per municipality but because you're building with steel it's non-combustible so when you see a subdivision that's being uh, start a new subdivision for weeks for months they're doing dirt work they're pushing dirt they're putting in curb and gutter they're doing all these things um, fire lines. The reason they have to do that before they start building is you're building with wood. You're building with something that's going to, you know, combustible. Yeah. So if you're building with steel, not only is your builder's risk insurance substantially less, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars less, you can start building. You can go out and just start scraping pads on the ground and start building right away because nothing's going to burn. Furthermore, you don't need a dumpster because we're doing all the work off site. So we're showing up, we're not cutting stuff. We're not throwing stuff away. We're just standing stuff up. So it, it's so much faster. I have talked with several single family rental uh, developers and builders. Mm -hmm. They all see it. They all love it. It's all fantastic. Uh, we got to do this, but we've been doing it, uh, you know, this, this, this way we've done it. Uh, Back to change. Again. How are we right. going to, how are we going to nail the doors? How's the trim? How's the cabinets going to go in? How's, you know, just all this stuff. And they just vapor lock. We just, it's education, educate, 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 educate. There are some in the Valley that have built out of steel. I haven't built any in the Valley out of steel, but, um, I, I just last week spoke with, uh, one of the largest, uh, multifamily developers in, uh, Nevada mm -hmm. in Southern California. They just had one of their projects burned down oh. in, uh, while it was being built. Why do you think they were talking to me? Right. Like, oh man, that's horrible. We won't do that again. Well, and thank God okay, it was but. being built, not already e built. Exactly. Let's talk about that one. That's yeah. even a better one. When it's built and it's built out of steel, there's components, there's furniture still going to burn, carpet's still going to burn, but it slows the burn down and it's going to allow more people to get out of a building and survive. Uh, so it's it just, it's a huge win all the way around. That makes me think of, and gosh, I cannot remember how long ago this was. I, I feel like it was a few years ago, but I'm probably wrong. Mandalay Bay in Vegas mm -hmm. had a fire. And I remember watching it. I mean, and you guys know how anybody knows how mm -hmm. tall those hotels are mm -hmm. in this fire. I remember seeing it so high up and I was like, how are people going to come down from there? How scary is that? Yeah. And yes, it would still burn, but think of sure. how, how much uh, mitigation you could do if this was, you know, I mean, obviously a hotel is probably all steel, but well, um, yeah, the structural components, right. yeah. but I'm thinking of that way people, cause not everybody knows what we mean when we say multifamily and mm -hmm. stuff, they can kind of put like a visual to it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're in a third floor apartment, and the apartment catches on fire. Most of those are are stick built. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So senior family living, assisted oh, living. Yeah. They're all they all Scary. have to be built out of steel. Yeah. It's it's code. You have to build them out of steel. And I'm thinking to myself, well, duh. And why are you making them do them out of steel for all those same reasons? You know, the combustibles. Why that doesn't equate and go over? It's starting to in L.A. County now. Uh, over certain square footage has to be done out of steel. It's gonna. That's gonna begin to to really expand. So then, do we still have inventory shortages and supply chain shortages with steel as well? Um, there really, there really never has been a shortage. They put it on allocation, okay. which means that if I want to buy steel today for your project, I I buy it at whatever today's price is, but I'm not going to get that for ninety days. Right, and isn't steel? Uh, it's like. 
in its rawest form from the ground, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a finite resource, correct? Sure. So then what happens if we run out? Well, we build uh, the cold form steel that we use is 75% recycled steel. Oh, that's cool. So, so then where does, where does say that come from? Where does... Uh, where does the recycling process come from? Um, yeah, I don't know how it winds up getting yeah. to us, but I can tell you this, that um, to build a 2,200-square-foot home takes about one acre of lumber, of trees. Yeah. Um, you can build that same home in the steel that's in six cars. Wow. So, yeah, it's pretty It's pretty cool. But those have to be old cars in order to be, right? <laughs> Probably. Right, we're not talking not like... like Daryl's carbon fiber. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. Yeah, a exactly. biker, yeah. but yeah, and you see, you know, again, it it just it, it gets back to that whole recycling and, and sustainability, the whole thing. Right. Uh, a, a lot of developers are doing the net zero stuff now, you know, and all of these things play into it. So yeah, it's very cool. I, th- I think an important part, Carla, is that um, just kind of tailoring off of what Robert was talking about. In the past, the cyclicality of steel versus wood was all economic based. Mm-hmm. In the new paradigm, you're seeing that there's other factors that are being contributory towards that. And what I mean by that is you have your environmental side, you have your, because you guys are going down the recycling side, you have your compliance side, back to what he was talking about with the the underwriting of, of insurance policies or things like that. I would say, Robert, correct me if I'm wrong, but especially in the last few years, you've seen a much more impactful decision base on those different parameters than just economics. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. So if that makes sense, because I'll give you an example. I drove okay. by, I drove by a house the other day that was under construction and there was as much in the dumpster as there was on the house. I believe it. So, you know, no fault to, to that person, that contractor, whatever. They're just doing it under a paradigm that's probably 20 years old. Okay. But in, in what Robert's talking about is we, as a group of people, we, as a group of industries, can we really afford to do that long-term? Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's let's break that down. That owner's losing money. That general contractor's losing money. We as a society are losing because we're throwing away stuff that we took how long to grow and harvest and process, and we're literally throwing it back in a landfill. It's pretty dumb. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by if you can look at it in the cyclicality of what I just described, there's a bunch more wins. And that's, the that's again, why we're doing the advocacy towards better, not necessarily, well, it's, it's better all around. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then because like, say, in a facility where you guys are doing it off site, mm-hmm. right, there's not better planning, but better planning, right? Like yeah. it's lumber comes in pieces that mm-hmm. are already pre-measured. Mm-hmm. And so when you're planning for that, you have to guess over so yeah. that you're bringing in the correct amount. And you guys can get likely so much more accurate with the materials you need so that the just even just thinking waste of lumber or, yep. you know, that type of we inventory have, wouldn't be there. We, our waste, um, when we manufacture, is where they punch the holes and, you know, and the piece, the little piece that comes out when you punch it. Um, it if the wall is 8 feet 11 and 7 sixteenths, that's what it gets cut. That's what it gets made to. And so... Um, our yeah, you're not taking a 12-foot stud and throwing two feet in the garbage. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. But the, the bigger thing here is let, let's go away from the materials and sure. let's look at the human element here. We're in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Let's go outside and like, especially Ooh. the last few days. No offense, but I'm I'm too old to do that it's anymore. Hot. Okay. So next generation, you're talking about, do they want to be out in that stuff for 12 hours a day? The answer is no. Do we want them out there as an employer uh, having safety risks and 
depleting their body and all those kind of things. I mean, yeah, you know, the old adage is, you know, a little sweat equity never hurt anyone. I'm not, I'm not up against that, but for the long-term um, sustainability in, in Robert's situation, they can pull that in-house um, in the shade, in a conditioned space and people want to be there, you know, versus being out three stories on a 110 day in Arizona. Right. It's a no brainer. Well, and then your, the tenure of your employee is going to happen also, right? Because if you get Correct. someone who comes in and they deal with this heat in, you know, swinging a hammer or in construction, mm-hmm. their their tenure is going to be very short. Right. That is a short-lived Well, and career. their attention span is going to be right. even shorter. Right. But then you have the safety element too of just bringing more people home alive every day and then back to insurance, the cost of all of that. So it's, it's really a no-brainer. We're just trying to get it. You know, there's a lot of good companies out there like Roberts and a, and a bunch of people in other industries that are really trying to push the envelope here. And then for their listeners' sake, the next piece is all the integration. So mm-hmm. the integration is what's going to happen on blockchain and everything else so that it literally is vertical nuance that everyone can be related to. So you know, we, we could spend a whole couple hours right. on that alone. But that is, in essence, where our industry is and needs to go. Mm-hmm. When you take the combination of the offsite modular approach with what we can do on the blockchain to share all the information. So then other than our respective podcasts, how else can we get, you know, how else can we educate consumer or, you know, maybe not end user, but the people who are are going to be constructing with these products or any, you know, how do we change that frame of mind? You know, for years and years and years, we did plumbing with copper. Right. Everything was copper. Um, and then came PEX, and PEX is the plastic line. And when it came out, I remember, oh, there's lawsuits galore because uh, it's foreign, you know, made, and it failed, and all the problems with the houses, and you have to rip it all out. People go back to people hate change. And now PEX is everywhere. And we have to just continue educating, sharing the message, and and really just doing it. Um, the, the project, uh, we built a project in Tucson, five story, 125,000 square foot multifamily building. And the general contractor had been a multifamily builder, uh, built everything out of wood and did not like it. Um, the owner, uh, we had to convert it from wood to steel because of what was going on with uh, supply chain and prices, pricing in wood. Uh, we built that project and that owner, and that general contractor have come back and said they will never build a multifamily building again any other way. It's just, it was too simple. It was too fast. It was too safe. It, everything. Yeah, it it just, we just have to keep dragging everybody into the game, uh, even if we have to drag them kicking and screaming. Well, I think the other thing is show them that the, the people like us and the people that we surround ourselves with, that we're not afraid to fail forward. And then that will give them the encouragement to do as much. But back to your specific question, Carl, I think it's, you know, giving those examples, giving those testimonials, giving those videos, all the things that we know how to do in social media through things like what we're doing with these different, with your podcast, our podcast, and in the whole network of our podcasting. Because podcasting is so much more than just the audio piece anymore. It's mm-hmm. it's video, it's streamed, it's this, it's that. I'm geeked out because I can't wait till we do it on AR and VR where, you know, my my avatar will be doing the <laughs> podcast instead of, not that I don't love you, Robert, but, you know, yeah, I'm no, just that, saying I, it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that'd be very cool. So you, the more you geek and dream out about mm-hmm. stuff, like my wife always says, dreaming's free. So yeah. just go for it. 
Well, and I remember like even in business school, we would talk about like, uh, where do businesses fail? Anybody can plan and plan and plan, but until you actually execute and until you start showing people what you can do with those plans is where you fail forward, right? It's where you, you at one, some point you have to put it into motion so you can see where it's broken. And so you can see what, what we need to do better and what we need to do next. And it sounds like we've put that plan in place Mm -hmm. and what we need to do next is just continue to educate the, the population about it. it. Vision with, without action is just daydreaming. So yeah, we just have to continue to just do it. And, And the more we do it, the better we get. Well, I love it. So Thank you guys so much for coming on. Sure. I appreciate it. I really we do. Get to reci- we get to reciprocate it. Yeah, too. it's fun. I mean, This was so fascinating. I, you know, I kind of went into today with like, I, you know, we've all met each other through our, our uh, podcast and I just was like, we cross, uh, cross over on so many levels. I just wanted to chat. And so it was really nice because I feel like that's what we did. We just yeah, chatted. We did. And, and yeah. we find that that's really makes the best times for us in our podcast yeah. as well is when... When you have a conversation like we've had today and you feel like we just sat down and started talking and, right. and, and now the time's gone. So, yeah, it's always a win. But this is this is the fun part. Cool part is I think we almost patched her M.O. Look at smashing through walls. <laughs> I oh, love it. We didn't know that you literally were going to talk about walls. And smashing literally, through them. Right? Wood ones to steel. Yeah, that's correct. I love it. Yeah. What do you think we can just tell anybody who's like trying to start a podcast with like our last couple minutes left? Oh, what kind of Go for it. Yeah, do it. Yeah, I, definitely have to do it. But find the right people. Yeah. Um, I start, I can say that I started trying uh, before I met JJ. I started trying, got very close. Um, it was going to be very expensive the way mm-hmm. that I was doing it. Um, and it was going to, yeah, it was just find the right people, find, find the right, the right place to do it. And, um, then it's, then it's a lot of fun. Well, and a little plug for our, for, for who, who? Uh, for our good colleagues for, right. for Phoenix business radio, Phoenix well, maybe. That's probably yeah, right. them, yeah, you know, our love, a, our, might our, be a decent one to start our love with. for Karen and Daryl. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it, uh, yeah. I think the question is valid is anyone that wants to go into this, it's, it's not, it's not hard. You just have to have the commitment and Daryl and Karen and the, and the people here at Phoenix, at the business radio X in Phoenix, they know how to do it. I I totally agree. I've literally told everybody about it and anybody who comes on is super impressed with, you know, what we have going on here. Mm -hmm. And same, I, for the last year, that was like one of my goals last year was to do a podcast and I could just not find a platform that I was happy with or was very expensive or it was very labor intensive on my part. And I already have a full-time job, like, you know, and two kids and a life. Like I, I, I needed something just like this. So I'm so glad we all found our home and I appreciate you guys coming. How can people get a hold of you? How can they contact you? Go to macandblue.com, M-A-C-A-N-D-B-L-E-U.com. Yeah, we're both, we're both connected on there. and. And do you guys have some kind of intake form for future guests? We do. Mm -hmm. We do. So if you think you would love to talk about the future of the construction industry, then go on their website and fill out the form. And if you don't fit there, maybe you'll come here. Hey, check out both of ours. That's right. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having us on today. It was a pure joy. You've been listening to Smashing Through Walls, a place for robust conversations about the building and blocks of Arizona commercial and real estate investments. Host Carla McGee is a commercial real estate broker with MHG Commercial, powered by My Home Group. The opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of My Home Group and do not constitute any offer or advertisement of business or services. 
The real estate market is cyclical, and listeners assume all responsibility should any return on investment, tax consequences, credit effects, or financing terms not meet their expectations. Guests may not be qualified to provide financial, legal, or tax advice regarding a real estate transaction. Listeners are advised to obtain professional tax and legal advice and counsel. 